This morning we are going to begin four weeks in the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah, I'm sure you're very familiar with, it is a fascinating and it is a gripping story about a prophet God sent as a missionary to a pagan and wicked city. It is it is a, the second most amazing missionary story in the Bible. And in Jonah, we will see over these next four weeks, we will see God's sovereignty powerfully displayed over creation. We will see his grace mercifully revealed in salvation. It is, to me, it is in four very short chapters. I mean, it's just two pages in my Bible But it is a grand story, not about a big fish, but about a great God and his sovereignty and his grace towards those who are lost in sin. So let me pray. Father, thank you for the Bible. Thank you that when we look into the words of this holy an inspired book, we come personally face-to-face with you. Lord, thank you for the privilege of being able to not only read your word, but to understand it because of the dynamic work of your Holy Spirit. And as we study this small book this morning, Lord, it doesn't have small things to say, but great things. And I pray that this church this morning would be well served by the truth of this book and that they would be encouraged and they would be challenged, Father, and they would experience time with you. Lord, help me to serve this church, to pastor them well through the preaching of Jonah. In Christ's name, amen. Sinclair Ferguson says this of Jonah, few sections of scripture emphasize so clearly that God is sovereign in all evangelism and he is evangelistic in the exercise of his sovereignty. And as we will discover, the book of Jonah is a missionary story. And as I just said earlier, it is, in my opinion, the second most amazing missionary story in the Bible. And over the next four weeks, we're going to study each of the four chapters to observe and to learn how this book has application for Grace Church, for our church that lives in a world that is very similar to the world of Nineveh. A world that is wicked and decadent. A world that seems to be fraying and falling apart at the scenes. And each chapter in the book of Jonah is, is like the scene of, of a play that takes place in a, in a different location. Chapter 1, it takes place on a boat in a great storm. Chapter 2 takes place inside a great fish in the ocean. Chapter 3 takes place as Jonah walks through a great city and proclaims the truth. And, and scene 4, chapter 4 takes place as Jonah sits outside this great city talking with God. This morning we're going to look at chapter 1 and by looking at and we're going to do it in three ways. We're going to look at the background of Jonah's life. We're going to look at his time on the boat and we're going to look at the big storm that he went through. 
And here is my proposition. And this proposition is not just for today. This proposition is for the next four weeks. So you're not going to get a new proposition because the, the book of Jonah has something to say to us as a whole. The proposition is the book of Jonah exists, exists to teach us to obey God's command, to share the gospel, trust his sovereignty and evangelism, and celebrate his grace towards sinners and saints. The book of Jonah exists to teach us, to teach us, as all scripture does, to teach us to obey God's commands, particularly here to share the gospel, to trust his sovereignty and evangelism, and to celebrate his grace towards sinners and saints. And so the three main points are the background, the boat, and the big storm. First, let's look at the background of Jonah's life. It's important for us to understand uh, Jonah's background so that the rest of Jonah makes sense to us because his background plays a significant role in who he is and what he does and the outcome of this book. Now, Jonah is, by history, it's a book of prophecy. It would be considered one of the minor prophets. You've heard of the minor prophets, not because minor, he's less important simply, but minor because of the size of the book. So Isaiah is 66 chapters. It's, it's a major prophet. Isaiah, Jonah, two separate, four chapters in, in Jonah, a minor prophet. Written in the third person. So Jonah is written in the third person. The book of Jonah does not name its author. But many scholars believe And I would agree with them that Jonah is the writer. And he's telling his story by way of, in a sense, confession and testimony. To let us know how Jonah messed up. And I think that's something that we might be able to learn from his failure. So Jonah Jonah was a prophet of God who lived in very dark spiritual days. His world was harsh. It was a place filled with sin and violence and immorality. Not just in Israel, much in Israel, and that's who he was prophesying to, but also the, the world around them, the Assyrians, the nations that surrounded them were also immoral and violent and sin-filled. Now, Jonah lived in the northern kingdom. The kingdom of Israel had divided into two separate kingdoms. There was the southern kingdom, which was made up of Judah and Benjamin. And then there was the other ten tribes made up of the northern kingdom. And the northern kingdom, as you'll read about again and again in Scripture, had many, many wicked kings. And he, Jonah was one of the prophets that would prophesy in the northern kingdom. He was a part of the northern kingdom. And he was part of, and and most, again, scholars would believe he was part of a group of prophets that you would read about in 2 Kings, known as the sons of the prophets. These were young men, young prophets, who were mentored by two older prophets named Elisha and Elijah. And these Elisha and Elijah would be the prophets who would prophesy against the northern kingdom. They spent many years prophesying against their, the wicked kings that would lead the northern kingdom. And like Elijah, Jonah as well prophesied against the northern kingdom and one of its kings, Jeroboam II. Turn to 2 Kings 14, if you would. And if you have a Bible like mine... 
it would be on page 320. And if you don't, keep going back from Jonah. 2 Kings 14, verse 25. I'll just begin in the, in the middle. Actually, I'll start in verse 23. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, northern kingdom, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, his father, which he, had, which he made Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath Hefer. So here we see Jonah is in the northern kingdom and he's prophesying against an evil king. Richard Phillips, the commentator, says this. He says, the prophets of the northern kingdom engaged in two main tasks. The first was to call the kings and the nations to repentance. We find men like Elijah facing down the priest of Baal and confronting the king over idolatry. But the prophets were also messengers of grace. Over and again, God showed his mercy to wayward people, often through the ministry of these prophets. The book of Jonah brings us face to face with such important issues as God's grace, for the wicked, God's sovereignty over his servants, and the intense human struggle involved with forgiveness and repentance. But there was much more going on in the northern kingdom than wicked kings and and wayward people. There was political and military problems as well. Just north of Israel, the northern kingdom, was the Assyrian Empire. And at that time, at this time of Jonah, the Assyrian Empire was a superpower. And they were a wicked superpower. They constantly invaded Israel. They consistently led Israel astray with their their idolatry and their immorality. Assyria was, they they were violent towards Israel. Think of of ISIS today towards those in in Iraq and Syria. And the, and the violence, this is who the Assyrians were. That's how evil they were. They were godless, they were idolaters, they were, they were immoral, and they were violent. They were pagan Gentiles that were hated by Israel. That's who Jonah is surrounded by in his day. So look at chapter 1 with me. And I'm going to read the, the entire, I'm going to read through verse 16. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain 
came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we might not perish. They said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Then he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you. O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. You know, as a prophet, it's not an unusual occurrence what happens in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. The word of the Lord came to him. Arise, go to Nineveh and call out. This, this is a holy moment. This is the word of the Lord. This is not just a suggestion. It is God speaking. The word of the Lord. When you are reading your Bible and something, God speaks to you in the midst of that. That is the word of the Lord. We do not treat it lightly. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. God is speaking and of course when God speaks we are to listen attentively we are to obey immediately but obviously Jonah does not and this is an amazing aberration from the life that he had been living because he's a prophet of the Lord he knows the word of the Lord he's heard God speak before he's spoken for God he's represented God he's experienced the grace of God and God speaks to him and Jonah disobeys Many questions come to my mind. Had Jonah drifted spiritually over time? Why didn't he listen? Was he involved in some secret sin that had hardened his conscience? Why why did he reject God's word? How could he reject the word of God that came to him? Well, I think one one clue, and we will discover this later on as we study this book, Jonah hated the Assyrians. He despised them. He would have been happy for them to perish under God's judgment. And this word from God literally did not make sense to him. Why why would God be merciful to someone other than his chosen people? 
The Assyrians had done nothing but make Israel's life miserable. Why would God show mercy to them? Jonah was angry that God was displaying mercy to the Assyrians, much like the Jews were when, when Jesus spoke about God's mercy to Naaman the Syrian in Luke 4. Naaman the Syrian, an unbeliever, and Jesus speaks about God, this healing this leper. And it says later afterwards that the Jews went away angry and gnashing their teeth that Jesus would speak of this. Now imagine, imagine asking a Jewish rabbi in New York City in 1943 who has been told to go to the city of Berlin and declare to the Germans that if they don't repent, God will destroy them. Now, first, obviously, he would be fearful for his own life, a Jew in Germany in 1943. But secondly, these hated Nazis who created these concentration camps and defiled and destroyed millions of lives, they deserve to die for their wickedness. They do not deserve to receive the mercy of God. That's what's happening here with Jonah. That's what God is asking Jonah to do. Go into this city of the hated Assyrians where your life will certainly be in danger and if probably your reputation will be destroyed because you are not speaking to the nation of Israel but you're going to a pagan nation and prophesy to them so that my mercy can come to them. What makes this story so remarkable is that Jonah knew intimately the grace and mercy of God. He saw it happen again and again in the nation of Israel. He was in a unique position to view again and again God's mercy towards sinners. He had a rich history in the Word of God. He had a rich history in hearing God speak to him. He had a rich history in watching God extend his mercy to fellow Israelites. But he could not comprehend why God would show mercy to the Assyrians. This is what Jonah is feeling and facing at the moment. And so when the Word of the Lord comes to him, Arise! Verse 2, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He, his response is basically to put his hands over his ears and say, I can't hear you. I cannot hear you. He has become a poster child for Proverbs 18.1. He who separates himself seeks his own desire. That's what Jonah has done. That is the background of Jonah's life. And now we get to the boat. The boat in Jonah's life. Jonah verses 1 through 3. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and called out against it. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Do you get the idea that Jonah wanted to go to Tarshish? 
he had one place in mind. He had no interest in God's redemptive call to Nineveh. In his disobedience, he tries to run away from God. His sins... His sinful response is so illogical and it is so insane. This is a prophet of God who regularly heard the word of God, who is intimately familiar with the written word of God, and he tries to flee from the presence of God. How could a prophet of God so quickly forget Psalm 139, which he would have been familiar with? Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? Sin is always irrational. Our sinful decisions always make sense to us, but never to anyone else. And another part of Jonah's irrational thinking is believing that God has providentially provided a boat. He goes down to Joppa and he finds a ship going to Tarshish. He wants to go to Tarshish. He goes to Joppa. He finds a ship going to Tarshish. So he gets on the boat to go to Tarshish. He finds exactly what he's looking for. And in his sinful thinking, I'm sure, oh, this is God's wonderful providence. God must be supportive of my decision to go in the opposite direction. Maybe God is okay with my decision to leave or he's provided a boat. It must be his providence. And Christians would say when they do the same thing today, we would just say, oh, God opened a door for me. (laughs) It must be his will. Now, rationally, Jonah knew he couldn't flee from God's presence, but I I think, I think he believed he could act in a way that made a statement to God. I don't like what you want me to do. I don't agree with it. I can do what I want with my life. I know you're there, but you can't stop me from doing what I want to do. I'm angry with you, and this is the best way I can retaliate. Have you ever done that as a believer? Yeah, I know God is there, but you know what? I can do what I want. And I'm going to make a statement to God, subtle as it is. This is my life. I don't agree with the pathway that God has set for my life. And so I'm going to go in my direction. Jonah lets us know how fixated he is on getting away from God. He is going to Tarshish. Now, why is Tarshish important? Well, in Isaiah 66, an interesting statement that the prophet makes. He says, And I will set a sign among them, and from them I will send survivors to the nations, to Tarshish, Pol, and Lud, who draw the bow to Tubal and Javan, to the coastlands far away, that have not heard my fame or seen my glory. Tarshish was a city 
that had no knowledge of God. There's a purpose behind going to Tarshish. Everything and anything Jonah could do to run from God, that's what he did. He wanted to be away from God's presence. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now we can do this as well. We can run from his presence. Now we don't typically go to another city. What we do is we just avoid the people of God. We don't show up on Sundays much anymore. We don't go to care group regularly much anymore. We begin to isolate ourselves. We begin to separate ourselves. Much like Jonah has done. And that is the irrationality of sin. And what Jonah will soon discover is that finding a ship in Joppa that going, is going to Tarshish is not really God's good providence, but it is his disciplining providence. And that brings us from the boat to the big storm. Verse 4, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest, a storm on the sea, so the ship was threatened to break up. God's sovereignty over creation in Jonah is quickly revealed. He hurls a great storm that will destroy the boat. This, now, understand, this storm is not motivated by God's wrath towards Jonah. That might be the logical assumption. God's angry with Jonah. God's going God's to punish Jonah. It's his wrath towards Jonah. No, it was motivated by his mercy. By his mercy towards Jonah. And as we will see, by his mercy towards the men on the, on the ship and by his mercy eventually to the city of Nineveh. Severe mercy, yes, but mercy, nonetheless, it, it was sent, this storm was sent to rescue Jonah from his own folly. God is sending a clear message to him. His commands are not to be lightly rejected or even successfully evaded. We should think about that for ourselves. Are there places where I reject God's commands or try to evade them. And particularly in the book of Jonah, this has to do with our call to go into all the world, to share the gospel, to be evangelistic, to be mission-minded. This is about a man who was a called missionary who rejected. Stephen prayed that we would grow by conversion. I was grateful to hear him pray that. But that starts with us not rejecting the commands of the Lord. This storm was a profound teaching event for Jonah and the guys he was sailing with. Verse 5, God hurls a storm and we see, but the Lord hurled a great wind. There was a mighty tempest. Then verse 5, then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God, little G, G, and they hurled the cargo. So God hurls a storm and they hurl the cargo. A lot of hurling going on in this, in this experience. And so they hurl the cargo that's in the ship to lighten the ship that they, they wouldn't sink. 
It's been a, <laughs> and while all this is happening, if the writer is Jonah, he goes on to say, but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and lain down and was fast asleep. I don't know how that is physically possible. I, I get seasick standing on a dock. I have, I have been seasick twice in my life. And never again. If, if you put me on a boat, just shoot me in the head and, and throw me overboard and let me be food for the fish because the rest isn't happening. Um, and and, and, and it's, it's even worse. If you've ever been seasick, when you're on, when you're on a boat... They tell you, look at the horizon. See the horizon. That'll help you from being seasick. It's a lie, but it at least makes you feel better that you're trying to do something. But, but if you go into the hold or you go down into the head, which is the bathroom, you're, and, and you're enclosed, um, and life is just about over at that moment, you, you can only get more sick. And, and so for Jonah to go down into the inner part of the ship and lay down and be fast asleep. And then the, and, and so he goes down there and the captain comes, verse 6, and says to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? What do you mean, you sleeper? And God... <laughs> God at that moment, look at, look at verse, the rest of verse 6. This, this is a stunning moment for Jonah because the captain basically uses the same words here that God used in verse 1. The captain says, arise, call out to your God. And what is the Lord say, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. I think at that very moment, the Lord is grabbing Jonah's attention and reminding him of what he has done. And Jonah doesn't... Jonah didn't care about the pagans in Nineveh and obviously going down to sleep in a tempest, a great tempest, and the boat could very well sink. Jonah doesn't care about these pagans either. But the pagan crew in verses 7 through 10 are, again, they're used by the sovereign God to reveal his purposes. So perhaps... As the captain says in verse 6, Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God, he thinks small God there, will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Listen, our gods did not work. (laughs) So maybe you've got one that will. And then they said to one another in verse 7, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come. Now God has used the casting of lots before in Scripture. Remember the casting of lots for the the disciple who replaced Judas. And they're casting lots and they discover that the lot falls on Jonah. 
Jonah is identified, although he's never revealed as a prophet. He does tell them. They ask him all these questions. So they, they, they tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. Well, it, it's me. What is your occupation? No answer. Where do you come from? Well, I come from Israel. I'm a Hebrew. What is your country? And what people are you? So he tells them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. I don't get that statement. You've just run from God. You've just fallen asleep in the boat and you're saying, I fear the Lord. That is the insanity and the confusion of sin is that we, we make statements, yeah, I, I love the Lord, but I, I know I'm going in a total opposite direction than the command of the Lord, but I, but I fear him. And so the one thing he doesn't tell him is he's a prophet of God. And so the men, the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this you have done? Even they know he's done something wrong because he's told them in verse 10, for the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. We don't see that he tells them why. He just says he's fleeing from the presence of his God. They are perplexed that Jonah would try and hide from the same God who could create this storm. You see, they're seeing the power of Jonah's God. They're seeing the reality of Jonah's God. They're experiencing the power of Jonah's God. And they don't get, if he can do this, why would you run from him? But now, in verses 11 and 12, they look to the man of God. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and here we go again, hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Now, this is, this is another stunning moment in this, this, this chapter, this story on the boat. Nevertheless the, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. They didn't hurl Jonah overboard. They didn't do it to save their own skins. They, they expressed mercy towards Jonah. If I'd been on the boat as seasick as I would have been, I would have pushed him overboard immediately. If this is going to stop this storm, pal, you are gone. And they tried, but they could not for the, and for the sea grew more and more violent against them. So, the, so look, so here it is, it's growing violent. Jonah's only answer is, look, throw me overboard. Now, listen, this is most likely Jonah just despairing of life, giving up, it's over, I don't care. I, this is just a, listen, if you throw me overboard and I drown, at least I don't have to go to Nineveh. Just get me out of here. And so, so Jonah, Jonah does nothing to help these men. And so what do these men do in verse 14? Therefore, they called out to the Lord. <laughs> they called out to God. And, and notice here, they didn't call out to small g-o-d. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. Oh, Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. They called out to the God of the universe. They called out to the living God. Oh, God, we can't overcome your purposes. We can't overcome your, your storm. Please save us. And they call out in saying, Lord, we're doing this because, oh, Lord, 
we're doing it because we think it pleases you. And they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from raging. What an amazing story of a wayward man and a merciful God. And we'll discover why God is merciful next week in chapter 2. But look at verse 16. Here is God's mercy on display. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. I believe in his sovereign mercy. And I would agree with the commentators who say that these men were converted. I think it fits with the flow of the story. They, they were saved, not just from a storm, but from the ultimate storm of God's wrath against their sin. Now, these men fear the Lord. They believe in the Lord. They're, they're making vows to the Lord. What a wonderful story of God's grace wrapped in His sovereignty. This is what the story of Jonah is all about. God's sovereign grace powerfully revealed in the lives of sinful men. Now, what are some lessons that we can learn from chapter 1? First, are, are we obedient when God speaks to us, particularly in going to those who were lost in sin? Jonah's despising the wicked Assyrians. He was unwilling to go. He was called as one who would bring the word of God so that people's lives would be rescued from the ravages and slavery of sin. And when God tells him to go, Jonah determines who deserves to hear that word and who does not. And he fails on his mission at this moment. We're, we have the same calling. We're on the same exact mission. We have the words of the gospel, the truth of who Christ is, to proclaim to a world that is as much like Assyria and that is perishing. Are we obedient when God speaks to us? I don't know what your Tarshish might be at the moment where you could run to when you know the Lord is leading you to speak. But think it out. Figure out what it is that you may not run there. Secondly, do we take pity on those who are evil or do we hope they get what they deserve? You can think about the most heinous crime. On October 16, 1946, Lutheran pastor Henry Gorecki visited his small congregation in Nuremberg, Germany. This was no ordinary congregation all were about to be executed for war crimes. They were German officers. But since the trial, Gorecki had been visiting the prison and a number of these men had come to faith in Christ. One man, Jochen von Ribbentrop, spoke 
as the rope was placed around his neck. He said, I place all my confidence in the Lamb who made atonement for my sins. How do you feel about that? Do you rejoice when you hear that? Or do you struggle? Like, why, why him? Look at the heart of God. And we are no different than the Assyrians. Our sin and our wickedness and our evil was as great going up before the Lord and God spoke to someone and sent someone to us. Now, I said that Jonah was the second greatest missionary story. The greatest missionary story is one who was told by God to arise and go to earth and take on human flesh and live among the wickedness and the vileness and the immorality and the violence of this world. And unlike Jonah, this missionary named Jesus He went. He came. And he lived among us. And he spoke the words that bring eternal life. And he paid the ultimate price of being executed, crucified by the very place he came to, to tell them that God had a way to mercy. His coming willingly is the greatest missionary story ever. Jesus' ultimate mission was to live, preach, heal, save, and die for us. That we who were Ninevites ourselves might be saved. Brothers and sisters, Jonah's story has much to teach us in the coming weeks. But the same lesson is going to show again and again and again. And that is the proposition. The book of Jonah exists to teach us to obey God's command, to share the gospel, trust his sovereignty and evangelism, and celebrate his grace towards sinners and saints. Chapter 1, the background, the boat, and the big storm. Move us on our way.